Hello listeners, before we start this next episode, I just want to start it off by saying the day after I recorded is when that tragic accident or injury with Ronald Acuna happened where he tore his ACL, you know, the injury that was hurt across Major League Baseball. And so I just wanted to start the podcast by saying, have that in the back of your mind as a caveat as you listen to this podcast. So for example, when I say something like, the Braves only have one starter in the outfield that they planned on having. Now they have zero starters in the outfield that they planned on having. So things like that. So just keep that in mind. Alright, so with that, let's get started with the regularly scheduled episode. Welcome back everyone. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much. This podcast has been nominated for the top five of the best of bay contest in my local county bay county florida thank you so much for nominating me and keep voting for me so i can make it to the top three and maybe even win this thing and it's all thanks to you and so from the bottom of my heart thank you this week is going to be a fun episode i can't wait we're going to talk about the approach to the deadline what approach should the braves take and why it's going to be a good one let's jump into it and here we go Alright, the Braves are in a tough position. Coming up on the All-Star break, the Braves are one game below 500. That is not one place that truly any front office envies being in for two reasons. One, obviously it doesn't look super promising that they'll make the playoffs. But two, it's not an easy decision on if they should start selling pieces, uh, go for a rebuild, retool whatever that decision is very very tough so there's no guarantee of what approach the Braves are going to take however based on a few things it does look like the Braves are going to be buyers at the deadline but let's look at some math first according to Fangraphs which is my favorite site to check out playoff probabilities the Braves have a 14% chance of making the playoffs an 11% chance to win the division. They are currently four and a half games behind the Mets at the time of this recording, but that's not all the information. You need to get as much information as you as you possibly can to make the best possible decision that your front office can make because this is a big decision to make. So, currently, as I said, the playoff percentages, but let's look at the other teams the Phillies only have a 10% chance to make it. The Nationals only have a 3.5% chance to make it, which is kind of odd to me because I figured the Nationals would have a higher chance than the Phillies with the pitching, well, I can say front end of their rotation pitching that they have. Aaron Nola has not been the ace that the Phillies thought he would be, but Zach Wheeler has been lights out. But anyways... The Braves clearly have the second best chance to win their division, but the Mets have an 80.3% chance of making the playoffs with a 78.2% chance to win the division. 
So, yeah, percentages are not looking good. Currently, the Braves are projected to win 82 games and lose 80 to the Mets winning 89. It's really interesting because at the beginning of the year, I said the winner of this division would probably only have 90 wins. And it appears that I'm pretty close to right if things continue to project that way. I knew that this division wasn't going to be like the National League West where you had like three teams with a bunch of wins. I knew it was going to be a division where there's a bunch of teams just eating each other alive, which would result in low win totals. What that does mean is when they do play good teams in the playoffs, they'll probably do well. But either way, there's things to be looked at here. The Mets actually have a bit of a tougher schedule than the Braves do. According to Fangraphs, their strength of schedule the Mets is a .502 to the Braves being a .499. Not a huge difference, but it does mean that the Braves have a slightly higher probability to gain ground on the Mets just based on their schedule. The Braves do have the second easiest schedule remaining in the division. So that's good news. Uh, the Mets have the second hardest. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. And back to if the Braves are going to be buyers or sellers. It looks like they can catch the Mets. And Freddie Freeman, in an interview with David O'Brien recently, they aren't paying me to say this, but it's a great subscription. If you want to pay for it, you can find deals where you pay a dollar a month. It's really worth it to have the content that The Athletic provides. But anyways, Freddie Freeman basically has said that he's very, very happy as a Brave. And he has been talking to Alex Anthopoulos, and he wants to be a buyer at the deadline, Freddie Freeman. How much weight will that have? Eh, typically a player saying that it's not going to have a ton of weight. But this is a contract year for Freddie. And if Alex Anthopoulos wants to keep him, they want to keep Freddie happy. So does that move the needle on if Alex Anthopoulos and the Braves front office decide they're going to be buyers? I would say that it moves it, you know, at least a hair. But of course, Freddie might just be being nice for the interview or whatever. But if that's the case, hey... That's a good sign. Also, two weeks ago or so, uh, David O'Brien again interviewed Alex Anthopoulos, and he seemed like the way he was talking that he wanted to be a buyer as well at the time. Now, the Braves have not gained much ground on the Mets since then, but they haven't lost a bunch of ground either. So are they going to be buyers? We'll see. With that, let's talk about what... The approach that the Braves need to take as far as if they're buyers, okay? And we'll talk about a little bit what will happen if they decide to retool. They won't, they're not going to like do a full sell-off like if they're rebuilding. They've got a strong core of players. But let's talk about what they would do if they're buyers, okay? They have plenty of holes, it's obvious. But they are going to have Travis Darno coming back in August if things continue to progress. And it's not like an Achilles injury like Soroka had. So he is progressing, so that's good. Depends on how far the Braves are out at that point. I mean, he's going to be coming back in August, and you've only got the month of September left. But still, that's going to be a slight upgrade. So we won't say that catcher is a priority. He has a huge hole right now. Starting Kevin Smith and Jonathan Lucroy, 
that is not what we're used to as Braves fans when we had the type of production that we've had for the past 10 or so years at the catcher position. But the biggest thing we want, well, two things, is it's obvious that we need a reliever. The Braves need a reliever. Will Smith, if you look just at his ERA, is not very good. It's high threes, not something you want from a closer. However, if you look at his peripherals, he's in the top 85% in almost every category that matters. His expected ERA is actually a full two points lower than his actual ERA. So what that means is if he continues to pitch this way, bad luck will probably you know, not be as bad, and you'll start seeing his numbers continue to drop like they have their overall output. Does that mean he's the answer at closer? I'd like to have a better closer. Everyone would like to have a better closer, but that's one solid piece. Chris Martin has been decent. And Luke Jackson is having one of his best careers. So there's three guys that you can depend on, but that doesn't mean that that's enough. The Braves need to upgrade the bullpen. In fact, let's look at the numbers for the bullpen of just the guys that are still on the squad. Because a lot of times people say, oh, the bullpen has this ERA, but then they factor in the ERA of the bullpen for the whole season, like guys like Nate Jones that are no longer there and stuff like that. And that's not a true snapshot in time of what the bullpen looks like. But let's look at the guys that have actively are still in the bullpen and the numbers there, and that'll give us a better idea of how bad or how good the bullpen has been. There's a few things we want to look at here, and we want to make sure we realize that ERA is not everything, but of course we're going to look at ERA. But funny enough, in a small sample size, probably the biggest pickup of the year has been Jesse Chavez. He's only played 7.2 innings, but his stats are kind of ridiculous in that short period of time. He, uh, his FIP, or you know, fielding independent pitching, is a 0.83 meaning like his ERA should be sub-1 based on his actual performance, which is kind of cool. I mean, it's only 7.2 innings. And then we have our other two most solid guys based on fielding independent pitching has actually been A.J. Minter with a 2.95 and Will Smith with a 3.23, showing that both of those guys have been Extremely unlucky with Will Smith having an ERA of 3.53 and A.J. Minter having a 4.31. I talk about it in my writing in the past. A.J. Minter, for whatever reason, is having terrible luck this year. Uh, his expectancy stats, his his peripherals are showing that the way he's pitching, he should have much better results in the ERA department. His ERA plus is only a 104, but he's in the top 15% in almost every category that matters as far as his actual, the way he's pitching. And so look for him to do better. So I just wanted him and Will Smith should actually have better results than what they're showing. Uh, Other guys, not so much. Chris Martin's right on par with how he should be performing. He's another solid guy, obviously. Uh, But the rest of them, uh, they're, they're pitching... They're pitching about right where they should be at, except for Luke Jackson, who has an insanely good 1.69 ERA. His FIP is showing a 4.21, so ultimately, if he continues to pitch like he is, uh, odds are that his ERA is going to drop pretty quick. And drop By drop, I mean his ERA effectiveness. His, the ERA number is going to rise. Now, I don't want to take away from Luke Jackson. It's fantastic that he's pitching the way he is. And I hope that his ERA stays low. I'm just saying probabilities do not lean that way. And again, 
surface numbers are all that matter at the end of the day, but peripherals can kind of show us what we can expect in the future as time goes by. And it's all about probabilities. We've talked about probabilities in the past. Probabilities do not guarantee anything. However, with higher odds of being successful, you're going to have a better chance of being successful. You know what I mean? So peripherals and expectancy stats and things like that, uh, fielding interdependent pitching plus and all that stuff can kind of help us gauge what it's going to look like in the future. And the future is what you want to look at when you approach the trade deadline. So from an earned run average standpoint, though, of the 10 guys that are currently the main bullpen pieces for the Braves. The ERA is 4.45 collectively. That is not good. It's terrible for a bullpen. What's interesting, though, is if you look at the guys that actually have an ERA above 4.45, there is only three of those guys that have an ERA north of 4.45. So really, if you take out those three guys, the ERA is looking a lot better. One of those guys, by the way, is Shane Green, who a lot of people thought were going to be the savior, and I said from the beginning that he was not. I don't want to toot my own horn, but definitely go back and read my article on Shane Green on SportsTalkATL.com. I kind of predicted this would happen. Uh, that's one of those things where peripherals can help you see the future. Shane Green did not have the peripherals to perform like he has the past few years. It showed that he was going to be more of like a 4.5 ERA pitcher, and right now his ERA is over 10. Um, obviously, it will not stay that high. He has a, a very small sample size of only uh, 10 innings pitched. So over time, his ERA will go down. It will, but he has not been performing like we hoped it would. Truly, the one guy that is really raising the ERA is Josh Tomlin. I'm not quite sure why they continue to throw Josh Tomlin out there. He has 34.2 innings pitched, which is the second most out of any relief pitcher on the squad, and he by far has the worst ERA of 5.71. Based on his FIP, it's not much better at a 4.93. Yeah, sure, now he's probably just thrown out there for mop-up duty at this point, but still, does not make a whole lot of sense. Josh Tomlin should be the first one to go if the Braves do upgrade their bullpen. And so we take Josh Tomlin out of there, and the ERA of the total squad drops by quite a bit. So that's an easy, weak link to take out of the bullpen if the Braves do decide to improve upon the bullpen. I highly suggest not pitching him anymore if you can help it. 34.2 innings is a lot for a reliever for mop-up duty type guy. So, uh, Brian Snicker, if you're listening, which I know you're not, but if you are, please stop pitching Josh Tomlin. It is not going to help the team win. We are going to talk about future trade candidates in the next episode or so, depending on how the next week or two goes. So be looking out for that. Right now we're setting a baseline. Baselines are important. Okay, we're setting a baseline of what needs to happen. With that, though, there are obviously holes like we said. So right now would be a good time to take a break, and we'll come back and look at the Braves' other really big hole that they could fill pretty easily.
Welcome back from the break. I hope that you use that break to go onto the Facebook page of the show, find the Best of Bay link, and vote for the show. I know you did, so thanks for doing it. I did the same thing. But anyways, more seriously, let's talk about the Braves' other biggest need. A lot of people have said we need a left fielder. Well, I would counter that point and say, yes, a big bat left fielder would be fantastic. The Braves do need that. But ultimately, they just need another big bat. And there's a lot of places where it could go. Because, fortunately for the Braves, one thing they do have going for them is a lot of positional flexibility. A lot of their guys can play multiple positions. The Braves' offense needs a bat so bad that players can play in a position that's maybe not their main position if it means the Braves are going to get better offensive output. Okay? So... For example, Arcia, if for whatever reason, Dansby is gone. We all love Dansby, don't get me wrong, but he might not be a brave forever. But let's let's just use this as an example. If you go to the trade deadline and a trade makes sense for Dansby to move, odds are it's not, but let's just say it does, Arcia can move to shortstop. Or Ronald Acuna can move to center field if he needs to. Even though he's been an elite right fielder up to this year, it would make sense to move him to center field if that's what it took, especially considering for whatever reason this year he's having a down year defensively, even though he's made some really cool plays. His overall output in right field has not been up to Ronald Acuna's standards. You see what I'm saying? We've got guys that can move around. So the point is the Braves need a big bat wherever they can get it. Obviously, they're not going to get a second baseman or a first baseman. Those are the two kind of guaranteed spots. Austin Riley actually is a better left fielder than he is a third baseman defensively. So we could get a third baseman, move Austin Riley to left. Odds are they're not going to do that because they seem dead set on keeping him at third to help build his development at the position. So odds of that are slim, but it's still a possibility. But let's look at the numbers because that's really why you came here, right? So if you look at the runs scored, the Braves have actually scored the most runs in their division, and there's only four teams in the National League that have scored more runs than them, three of which are in the National League West. You know, the big ones, the big three. The big three out West, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres. But you can also look at the run differential, right? The Braves have the best run differential in their division at plus 21. Oddly enough, the Marlins have the second best, which if you look at the you know expected win-loss just based on run differential, the Braves should actually be in first place at a 46-41. and 41. So, hey, things are looking up offensively, right? Uh, I'm going to say wrong, and here's why. If you actually pull up the numbers and look at how streaky the Braves have been, and you know I'm, I'm a big proponent of you raise your probability of run scoring by adding base runners and things like that, things will even out. But this is the weird thing about the Braves. It's almost like their run scored and leading the division has kind of been an anomaly. Sure, they lead the league, but check this out. At the time of the recording, before this Marlins series, so I do have to throw that caveat out there, the Marlins series before the All-Star break, the one right before the All-Star break. If you look at their run scored, They have scored 21.18% of all their runs in the entire year. You know, we're right before the All-Star break. They've scored 21.18% of all their runs in only six games. If you drop that down to 
only five games, they've scored 18.9% of their runs in only five games, and 9.85% of their total runs in only two games. And a lot of that is because whenever it comes to mop-up duty, for whatever reason, the Braves rake. So if the Braves are up by a bunch of runs or early and the other team doesn't feel like they can catch up and they either put in their worst relievers or their position players, the Braves don't hold back. And they score a ton of runs whenever that happens. More than pretty much anyone else. I mean, think about it. When was the last time a team scored 20 runs twice in the same season? And what I'm getting at is if you take those six games away, then the Braves' run differential drops drastically. Drastically, drastically. Like, bottom of the division drastically. Of course, that six games, you got to factor in things like, oh, well, they, maybe they would have scored five runs instead of 20 and, and things like that. But still, you take out those six games where they scored a crazy amount of runs against subpar pitching, and the picture is not as bright as it seems. Especially if you look at how they've been performing since June 1st. Freddie Freeman has stepped it up since June 1st. Ronald Acuna has been steady the entire year. And Ozzie Albies has been fine. That's a good, solid core of three hitters, sure. No doubt any team would be envious to have them. But beyond that, things get a little weird. And here is my People's Pitch segment of the week. A lot of people are going to hate me for this because he gets a lot of love. But the only reason Austin Riley is a cleanup hitter this year is because the Braves have no one better. He is not truly a cleanup hitter. Sure, he had a huge resurgence and it has definitely helped the Braves. His OPS plus this year is a 119 being 19% better than league average. He came out of the gates swinging hard, hitting the ball well. His defense was better, although it's regressed now. But offensively, he's having a decent year. Very good year, actually. But he's not a cleanup hitter. And especially now, let's look at his statistics since the start of the month of June. You know, all the way up to June, Austin Riley was looking like a surefire all-star, maybe even a starter. And the only reason he didn't start was because Chris Bryant, who... Funny enough, did not end up starting the All-Star game, was his main competition for the All-Star game. And we even had a whole episode on it, for good reason. But things have kind of slowed down for Austin Riley. And let's look at this. Let's look at his numbers since June 1st. Since June 1st, this has been his slash line. His batting average is a 248. His on-base percentage is a 315. His slugging is a 3. 9.8 and his OPS is a 7.14. A 7.14 OPS plus, an on base percentage of 3.15, those are not numbers you want as a number four hitter. Is it good enough to be a starter? Sure, absolutely. Austin Riley, since June 1st, has been hitting like a number six hitter. That is something the Braves absolutely 100% need. He's not hitting with power anymore. He's only got four home runs since June 1st. He's not getting on base. I mean, he's being slightly productive. His batting average of balls in play is right around league average. And that's one of the reasons 
not to take anything away from Austin, I mean, the first few months of the season was fantastic. In the last seven games, he's been okay. But his batting average of balls in play the last week has been over 400 based on this entire year of his batting average of balls in play being 296. And the first few months of the season, his batting average of balls in play was sky high as well. So he did get a bit lucky, and that's why... And I don't want to call it truly luck because you have to put yourself in position to be lucky. And when the luck hits, you produce, and he did. But the thing is, is Austin Riley is not a true cleanup hitter. Am I glad that, man, he is hitting way better than he has in the past? Am I going to eat my words on saying maybe it's time not to have Austin Riley as a future piece? Yes, I will eat my words on that 100%. Austin Riley deserves to be on this team. He deserves to be a starter on this year's performance alone. However, he's not a cleanup hitter. And the only reason I'm saying that is because the Brave is to point out that the Braves need a big bat. They don't have a cleanup hitter. That's something they truly, truly need if they want to compete this year. Most teams, when they face the Braves, all they have to do is just get past the big three, of Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna, and Ozzie Albies, and then they're good to go after that. And that's it. I'll step off of my soapbox for the People's Pitch segment, and we'll continue with Braves' needs. Another reason the Braves need a big bat is because, let's be honest, they're starting three AAA players. You know, well, maybe not starting because they, they're platooning Almonte and Arcia now, it appears, based on um, handiness of the starting pitcher, which is smart. It is smart. I think that if the Braves bring in a big bat that's not a left fielder, they can continue to platoon Arcia and Almonte out there in left field. It makes sense. But let's be honest here. Three of their regulars, Arcia, which was killing it in AAA, by the way, but still there's a reason he was there to start the season. Uh, and Heredia and Almonte... They've been overperforming, which has been fantastic for the Braves. But still, they have gotten hot when they need to, and that is great for their careers, and I'm rooting for them. But there's three guys that started the season, AAA-level players, now regulars in the offensive lineup for the Braves. Not good. And that's not including how bad Ender Inciarte has been whenever he starts some games. And we talked about the catcher. Not good offensively. Obviously, we're probably not going to trade for a top-of-the-line back catcher because they're crazy expensive, and the Braves probably are not going to do that unless they can get a piece that's going to be a future piece with many years of control, which there's not a ton of them out there at the trade deadline anyways. But I'm just pointing out the Braves need a bat. I mean, they've got Orlando Arcia, who was on the AAA team just three weeks ago, batting fifth, or they swapped him in between Abraham Almonte, who was a AAA player to start the season, and over the past 14 days, even with his great game a few days ago, is hitting at a 103 OPS+. plus. Yes, 3% better than average, but is that who you really want as your number five hitter? No. Is it great that we have Almonte and that he's performing as one of the best seasons he's ever had? Yes. But history says that that can't continue. Um, 
and not to mention, like I said, 3% better on average. That's definitely an area that the Braves need to improve on if your number 5 hitter is only 3% better than league average if you're trying to win your division. I've also tried Dansby Swanson at the 5 spot, and I'm telling you, the Braves probably lost some games for doing that. I don't understand... I wouldn't have understood it at the beginning of the year. I wouldn't have understood it even last year with him probably having one of the better offensive seasons he's ever had. This year, certainly not with the way he's performing. So that was a that was a fail there. I don't understand why Dansby was batting five ever this year. I mean, you could have literally put anyone in the Braves lineup other than Kevin Smith batting fifth, and it would have been a better option. But let's look at his numbers. For the season, his OPS plus has been a 100, right at league average. But over the last 28 days, his OPS Plus has been 8% below average, which is the time that they've been putting him at 5th a lot, which is really odd. 92 OPS Plus, not good. Okay, his batting average was 229, on base percentage of 302 the last 28 days. 302! That's like the uh, Mendoza line of on base percentage. His... OBP for the entire season is even lower than that at 295. Maybe it's because he has a decent slugging percentage of, you know, 429. I mean, that's decent, but that's the only reason his OPS plus is league average is 100% on his slugging. When he does get a hit, it it's better than a single is what that's saying, but that's not a number five hitter. Is, is it a good enough to be a glove for a shortstop in Major League Baseball? Absolutely. Is it good enough to be starting for most Major League teams? Sure. Don't get me wrong. Um, am I glad Swanson's on the Braves? Yeah, I am. His defensive ceiling is extremely high. But truly, he's a number eight hitter, um, especially on a competitive team. He does not be needing to bat fifth. And this isn't trying to say, hey, Brian Snicker, what are you doing batting Swanson fifth? The whole point is, as you can see, they've been rotating guys in at the number five spot, which is probably where Austin Riley should be batting anyways on a competitive team. And they don't have a true option for the number five hitter, which means that trickles down to the sixth hitter, the seventh hitter, and the eighth hitter as well. So once you get past the big three, and then you could argue Austin Riley with a 119 OPS plus, the Braves really don't have anyone. All their offense pretty much has been the top three guys getting on base and periodically getting a hit from guys lower in the order. Um, and guys that have been overperforming their career totals like Abraham Almonte, which, by the way, his bat is overperforming. His defense has been atrocious. It's been almost three times worse than Ozuna's was, just for what it's worth. Almonte is 100% a designated hitter. But anyways, the Braves need a big bat. So if the Braves decide to go that route, they need the route of upgrading at the deadline they need a big bat where they can get it. As you can see, there's multiple positions that the Braves can upgrade at. As I said earlier, though, the Braves are not guaranteed to be aggressive at the trade deadline. But the last thing they want to do is stay pat. That makes no sense. You're not going to make the team better in the future by staying pat. You're not going to make the team better now by staying pat. And Alex Anthopoulos has been to the playoffs since, I believe, 2014, every year that he's been a part of an association, so he's probably hungry for the playoffs again. 
But if the Braves decide that they don't think they can make it this year, they need to retool, right? And what that means is they're not going to do a full rebuild. They're not going to sell off their best players, you know, something the Rangers or the Orioles should think about doing. Although the Orioles are a lot closer to competing with that insanely good farm system. And they do have some solid players like Cedric Mullins and John Means and people like that. But still, or let's use the Pirates, for example. The Pirates definitely need to rebuild. The Braves are not in that position. The Braves are not going to be trading away their version of Brian Reynolds, whereas the Pirates might want to think about doing that. What the Braves would do is they would sell off the one-year contracts that would bring them or net them any type of value at all. So the first way you're going to be able to tell if the Braves are retooling, doing, I guess you could call it a soft rebuild, not even that much because they're not even going to be rebuilding. They're just going to be trying to get some value rather than no value of their one-year contracts. If you see Charlie Morton traded, you know the Braves have waved the white flag for this season. And uh, if they have, they do need to trade Charlie Morton. He is their number one trade piece. He's the type of guy that competitive teams will actually give something of value for. So you are be looking for guys like Charlie Morton, maybe Drew Smiley because of how he's been performing over the past month. Drew Smiley has been absolutely killing it over the past month or so. Well, by killing it, I mean in comparison to what we had become, what we thought was the norm. Since June, his ERA is only 2.75, and he's struck out almost a batter per inning. So, yeah, Drew Smiley is doing way better than he had in the past. So he's... His value is higher right now than it ever was when they had him earlier. Um, Teams looking to compete might want to add a fourth or fifth starter to help them on the run to the playoffs. So he might have some value. I'm telling you, the dude's value has skyrocketed, especially even from a wins above replacement standpoint. At the beginning of June, he had a negative 0.7 wins above replacement, and he already in one month has jumped up a full wins above replacement point a full win to 0.3 wins above replacement in one month. That is definitely solid. Gaining an entire wins above replacement in one month, that'll get it done for you. Um, if he was to continue to pitch at that rate, if he would have been pitching this rate all season long, I mean, just look at it. That's a six wins above replacement season, just like that. Um, obviously, he's not going to get there, but over the over the past month, he's been playing like a six-war player. That He's been playing all-star level. Um, over the past month, so he could have some trade value. You'd be looking at guys like Kim and Charlie Morton going. You may see guys like, I don't know, the Braves might trade off one-year relievers. I don't know. There might be some that have some value. Not many, to be honest. And then you'd see guys like maybe Almonte. He's not a free agent until 2023. He's going to go through the R process, so he'll be cheap. So he, But he might be one of the guys that's not a one-year contract that you might see the Braves try to trade for because his trade value right now is much higher than it was when they they grabbed him. Now, would it be something to be excited about? Nope, not at all. But they would try to get something that would be possibly a lottery ticket type prospect that could help the Braves in the future because Almonte, although he's been helping the Braves this year, is not the type of talent that they're expecting him to be a key bench piece in the future for them. So you might see a guy like Almonte go, maybe Heredia, guys like that. They might try to get max value of Arcia. I don't think they'd trade Arcia, though, after trading for him, keeping him down this long to finally bring him up 
They might have bought him up just now to try to see if he had trade value and see if people kicked the tires on him. I don't think so. But those are the type of guys you're going to see going if it's a retool. You're not going to see guys like Ozzie Albies being traded, which, by the way, has one of the best contracts in baseball. You're not going to see Acuna be traded. You're not going to see people like that. And I really do not think the Braves, although um, we talked about it, Freddie Freeman on paper might make sense to trade. He's in a contract year. He's an MVP type guy. He could actually net you decent prospects for only a few months of his services. However, if you trade Freddie Freeman, odds of him coming back are very, very slim. It's not like Aroldis Chapman a few years ago with the Yankees where they traded him just to sign him again. Chapman had not been a Yankee his entire career. His feelings weren't hurt about that. Now with Freddie Freeman, though, if he was like, hey, I've been in this organization for 15 years, and then you trade me with a few months left, yeah, I'll go to the Angels. It's cool. It's a little bit different situation there. So that's where the Braves stand, and that's the two main approaches that they'll probably take at the deadline, whether it be upgrading or a retool. And that kind of sets us up for the trade candidates that we can look at realistically in the future. All right, that is the episode for the week. Thank you so much for joining in to listen. It means the world to me. Don't forget to go vote for me on Best of Bay. You can follow the show at Braves Dugout Pod. You can follow my personal account at S People Sports, both of which on Twitter. You can find the show on Facebook. Just like the page to get all the updates. You can email the show for any inquiries, bravesdugout at gmail.com. You can check out the website. I will put the link to how to vote for Best of Bay into the show notes as well as how to get hold of the show in the show notes as well if that will make it easier for everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully the Braves go into the All-Star break with either 500 or better record. With that, as always, go Braves.